Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Francesco, your host. And today we have the absolute pleasure to speak with Sasha, Sasha Rosenbaum, that is currently the product manager uh, of CodeQL. And we explore how um, GitHub helps us uh, in development world to effectively scan code. And we explore a little bit about how are the challenges of security people with developer, speaking CV, CWE, what the heck are all those terms? And specifically when you talk to a developer, you have traditionally those challenge on um, discussing and, and uh, agreeing. What the heck are you talking about? So we explore how much and how important it is uh, to simplify things for the developer, but also to be human and to recognize that we're all people trying to get along with our lives. So security have their own priorities, developer have their own priorities and their own agenda. So maybe it's better if we all get along and try to talk. So this is your host, Francesco. Enjoy this episode on Code, CodeQL, GitHub and security of course <laughs> stay safe everybody and enjoy welcome to the cybersecurity and cloud podcast where we hear the stories of information security professionals this podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is, again, your host, Francesco, that welcomes you back to another episode. Today, we have the absolute pleasure to talk with a former developer that got introduced into the scary world of security. <laughs> so I don't know your perspective, but let me introduce you guys to Sasha Rosenbaum, that is the product manager at GitHub. Uh, also organize of one of my favorite conferences, that is the DevOps Days. Sasha, tell us, first of all, welcome to the podcast and tell us everything about you. So everything would take a minute, uh, but thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm super happy to be here. Um, you know, we've had some conversations offline, which were really productive for me. <laughs> so I'm very happy to have a conversation with our listeners. Um, I am a product manager at GitHub. I started my career in development and did that for a number of years. And then I uh, kind of sort of shifted towards DevOps and like automating infrastructure deployments and solving this kind of problems in the cloud. Um, and then like gradually right now, and what I say about like, you know, being a product manager or being in sort of developer relations and stuff like that is my job is primarily to talk to people rather than implement software. But there, there is a lot of sort of architectural decisions that we get to influence and a lot of things that we can learn from doing this at scale, right? And being able to talk to multiple customers, multiple users of our products, which gives us kind of unique insight and ability to direct the, um, the products that we develop. And yes, I've been kind of diving in into security more and more which um, 
is a scary place to be really <laughs> i i have to say you know as a developer your, your world is kind of nice and sweet like you build new things and you release them and like you get this instant gratification and you know every, everything is sort of rainbows if it works right and then if you dive into security everything is about like threats and things that can break and the threat team always wins and all of these things it's like how do we solve these problems <laughs> so yes definitely a lot of things to to, to think about and to learn as well like kind of learning this new language of like how, how do we even communicate about these issues um has been very interesting um so yeah happy to have this discussion today no that's fantastic because that's exactly the topic that we cross over and over and it's one of my pleasures talking to people outside the industry because one of the issues of cybersecurity is as you said is a dark scary field sometimes but we tend to end up talking with each other about problems that we know very well about and then when we talk with the outside world, the outside world is like, what did you just say? Well, then what, what do I have to do? It's like, what, what kind of library do I have to upgrade? Or what kind of bug fix do I need to apply? Just tell me what to do. And the security say, well, you need to do threat modeling. Then you need to consider the threats, then the probability. And a developer says, I just want to write code, <laughs> right? I, I definitely agree with you. So one of the, it, it's an interesting thing that when we dive into a field, we kind of forget that we didn't previously have the background. Mm -hmm. And so as a, for instance, like I've been around DevOps days for so long that when people talk about like infrastructure and deployments, it, this is my language, right? Okay. But then I read some blog posts that someone wrote like a developer review of DevOps days and they were totally like, oh, I didn't understand half the language and it was not about, you know, programming. It was about like some things that I didn't even think about before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, you have developed that, you know, terminology and lexicon. And um, yes, lots of our, you know, um, organizers and lots of professionals in the DevOps industry are former developers, but they kind of like grew into this new, you know, subset area. <laughs> exactly. And the same happens with security. So I think maybe three years ago was the first time I presented a talk at a security conference. Mm -hmm. And what really surprised me was that like when I went to other people's talks, like I had to sort of catch up on the language, right? So it wasn't like you say that modeling and that I immediately know what yes. you're talking about, but like I have to sort of backtrack, right? So people were talking about like, what's the best way to approach that modeling? And I'm like, oh, I kind of need some background on what, <laughs> like, how do we even get started here, right? It's not, you know, obvious to me. So yeah, things like that. I'm, I'm really big on getting definitions right before mm -hmm. we dive into technical topics. And I think a lot of times we forget that, right? Like my favorite example is, you know, security professionals talk about CVEs all the time. And like, when I say CVE to developers, like they don't even know what it means. What's a CVE? Right? <laughs> or CWE. Like, even if you say, right? Even if you say like common vulnerabilities and exposures, like still. So what? what? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so yeah, so I'm big on like, hey, let's let's start like, Usually if I do talks, like I often start with like slides and definitions, like here's what this means <laughs> to level yes, set. Right? I love that. I love that because it's, <laughs> it's sometimes scary to raise the hand during a talk or during a meeting and say, sorry, I don't really know what you're talking about. And it's, so I, I tend to do the same or introducing some, some kind of topics. The problem is when you talk about 
a topic complex like DevSecOps, you have 400 terms one after the other, like shift left, threat modeling, risk, probability, CV. It's like, it's, I can go on and on and on just introducing the topic. So if, if I need to give, for example, the introduction of DevSecOps, that's just a talk in itself, I guess. That's a challenge, I think, Definitely. for us and for the dev as well. I, I, I put myself in, that, in their shoes. Again, always important to remember who you're talking to, right? Exactly. So like, if I'm talking to developers, if I'm talking to you know, IT folks, if I'm talking to security professionals, there's different kinds of security professionals too. So <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms, right? So we definitely, there's, there's definitely a lot of, and it's interesting because a lot of people in our industry talk about like E-shaped people and T-shaped people and whatever, like, you know, having skills in multiple domains. I hate and the T-shaped people. I had the t-shirt. I, I hate that term because we're just people ultimately with experience and we can't, what I tend to get, for example, annoyed at is security people that says, well, developer needs to understand security. No, it's our job to explain security in simple terms. And the same comes to when I talk to engineers, it's like, if I can't understand you, I'm going to keep on asking and asking and asking. So don't, don't use lingo on me, for example. Which is a very good approach, right? Like you keep asking until you know that you're talking the same language, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people don't, you know, do exactly. But also like if you take my job, for example, like I can spend, I can afford to spend significant amount of my time learning about things, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's part of my job. Like I need to understand X to be better at delivering like a feature or something like that, right? But um, for like a developer, for instance, most of their job is to deliver on, you know, a feature, like actually write code for something. And yeah. yes, they get to learn, but primarily they get to learn about the code that goes into the feature or the new like framework that they're using or something like that. So also to demand them to learn about security is a problem, right? We can't all be good at everything and we can't all like, especially considering that like new updates and new technologies come right. out all the time. So like even for a security professional to catch up on everything that's happening in the field of security is a full-time job, right? Yeah. And then you talk about like developer also doing that. So I, I think, and we kind of talked about like what's the main challenge in our industry. I think that's the main challenge, right? Because developers, so I, I we have this pretty slide that came from some report. Um, I don't remember which one, but it says that there's roughly 50 million developers in the world and there's roughly... 75,000 security researchers. And so like, you, you cannot, like can't just win. numbers wise, like right where we are releasing software a lot faster than any security, like people can review it and mm -hmm. make sure that it's secure. So we need other solutions. And then at the same time, like we also can't afford to spend time educating developers about all of these things, right? So like my favorite thing right now is how do we make it easy for developers to stay secure to make their software secure without requiring them to do tons and tons of extra work or learn tons and tons about like what security really means i agree i, I tend to be controversial around this and i usually have a say that is don't be used by a tool but use a tool so you need a little bit to know instead of just automating everything out of the sake of automation and you could have a tool try to think secure for in your behalf the problem with that is you receive a report and then you don't know what to do. Even if it's if the best tool in the world that says, fix this line of code at these things, because this is, you need input serialization in this point, or you need to fix this security problem. 
and even if you re reach there, it's like, or if you have 400 of this, like, what do you do? So, so of cool. course I'm biased, right? But I'm going to, I'm going to say like right now, um, so we, we have something at GitHub, like the, that came from semi acquisition that's called CodeQL and we do CodeQL security analysis. Like it's a static analysis, semantic analysis of your code. And it actually like, it suggests you know, fixes and it, mm -hmm. it also has explanations of what exactly went wrong. And it's also like, again, from our estimates, which it's really hard to estimate the false positive, but from our estimates, the false positives are relatively low. And also like what we see is that developers actually end up fixing the issues. So kind of like we, we sort of hit the mark on making it understandable enough for the developer to be able to, okay, here's how I fix this, right? So. I think we're getting somewhere like this is a huge unsolved space, right? So like we can't completely automate this, but I do think that we're getting closer to being able to intelligently automate some parts of it. Correct. That can make it easier for developers. I agree. No, I completely agree on the automation part and that we can't solve the problem at all, but we can solve the boring part and then use the human brain to actually enhance whatever comes from the tool. So I am completely, I, I reviewed your, your talk on QL on, on DevSlopes. I, I, lo I love the concept and I love all the innovation that is coming from uh, GitHub and specifically in, in static code analysis, because the main challenge we used to, we, we have at the moment is tools that were developed uh, as as language tool very very traditionally very very back in the days and there was no much uh, innovation up to this point and now i'm massively excited because there is all this new language oriented tool that are being developed as we speak so i am from a security perspective and from a developer perspective i'm massively excited because the speed at a, of analysis has always been a, a bit of a challenge of those tools so if you have a tool that analyzes at the end of a week, a bunch of code, a master code, you probably lost the train because you need to reanalyze at the next week what, what to fix and stuff like that. And, and this again, this flies into, so if you go back to review that talk, there's another slide on there, which is like, this is a Veracode report, I think, about who, <laughs> like how often people write, run static code analysis. Um, and so that is from people who actually run static code analysis, yes. which is, I think, a tiny subset of, of everybody. Most of them run it once a year, like literally. Um, so like- And for like, compliance. There was, yeah. Mm -hmm. So- you can get the idea and also like how do you fix it if you run it once a year once you run it once a year like you get a report that 500 miles long and you don't know which ones are actually useful and it just it just becomes such a huge headache that it's like completely impossible to even manage okay. um i think and i think like so what we're trying to do and and that's another again i'm bias here, but I think this is going to improve people's experience uh which is we enable you to run it on like repos with actions. So like either public repos for free or organizational repos, um, it's gonna cost money. Uh, it's currently in beta, so it's actually free. So basically we we enable we enable you to run the code analysis every time you check in code. Mm -hmm. So just, you get a report, you get a chance to immediately fix it. But I will say like, again, as a developer, like how do I get away from the perception and that security is impeding my developer's speed and making my life harder, right? And and just basically my job is to say no to everything, right? Like, like that is, I think, something that's, like, I don't have the answer 
support, right? I think we got into sort of a better place with like IT. So so developers used to think about ops as in like this, you know, yes. burly guy that stands in in a, you know, between me and deploying my code. And I think we get a little bit better. Um, you know, and again, we can talk about this for hours. Um, I think we get a little bit better with the DevOps movement, right? For reconciling that perspective. And I just want to see if DevSecOps can do maybe the same for security. So like we can get to a place where instead of seeing security as an impediment, developers can see it as an enabler. No, and, and I agree. And, and there are there are tons of new initiatives. So DevOps or DevSecOps, I don't even call it DevSecOps. I call it with an, a, a bunch of other terms because it involves the organization as a whole. But security is start to talk with developers, with engineers and developing their mindset and, and vice versa. So when that conversation happened, it's great because the two areas meet in the middle. That is what happened with DevOps. So completely agree. And yeah, it's one of my favorite topic of, of how do we bridge the gap. But uh, what do you think? What 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 are your thoughts on how do we bridge the gap? And so there is one of the things that uh, we could do is communication. So communication, uh, taking things down to a notch and having the team to kind of do analysis. So static analysis is great, but thinking about the problems uh, beforehand. So at the beginning, you don't have the knowledge of security. So you tend to just run a tool and start learning from the tool. So if you're hitting the same problem of buffer overflow over and over and over and over, normally what happens is, how do I avoid that my code get hit that wall over and over and over? So you start learning or you start asking maybe in the positive world, the security guy to teach you how to fix buffer overflow once and then you start documenting yourself. So you fix the problem at the beginning of the code and you start thinking about buffer overflow before the buffer overflow goes in or input validation or field validation and things like that. And that's it's like deliberate practice. It, it, so this is actually, this was my, a little bit of um, frustration. So since, you know, I started this journey, I'd done a couple of CTFs and it like, I'm just, you know, kind of learning as I go. And mm -hmm. like, I, I come across vulnerabilities and like, I've definitely written this code. Like I've, I've, I've done things that would enable someone to, to hack into the system using this. And, but the thing is like the CTFs don't offer you, like what I was wishing for is like, give me an article about how to actually write better mm. code. You just told me what not to do, but how do I fix this going forward and learn so I can remember next time, like, oh, this shouldn't look like this. This should look like that, right? Yeah, so that's that's usually what we do as as transformation program. So we we run uh, the typical things that we do. For example, in in the transformation program that we run is run weekly call, analyzing uh, every half half an hour call every day, analyzing the piece of code and working with a bunch of team. For example, on on reviewing, say this is a good example was uh, fifteen teams all analyzing the same input validation and say. There is an OWASP library that does that for you. You don't have to rewrite the parser by yourself. Massive happiness. And that's that's good feedback for me. I felt good because I saw live of 15 people with just an answer, 15 minutes call. Fantastic. That, that, that was absolutely gratification for a security guy because you actually help somebody. And for the, the developer team, they actually fix a big important problem and they could go on with their life. <laughs> so that that's my opinion on how we could potentially bridge the gap of having 
security professional, application, more application security people. So converting more developer into how to solve things or how to talk security while developing and helping other developers. So I was a massive fan of the, the whole concept of security champions. And I think Tanya, Tanya Janka was as well. And we've been hammering the wire over and over and over about <laughs> becoming a security champion, but it's, it's not, it, it's not easy because you need to know a bunch of security stuff and we're still learning. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important focusing on your clients, and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. I think it's great. Like, like I, I love your approach of like, give give people something to celebrate right mm-hmm. like when like that's how you make friends with people right you, you give them something that improves their life and and make, makes them feel good about themselves and then like you can i think the the bigger biggest problem is like developers don't even know like there's a very long pathway between me writing buggy code and realizing that it was buggy right mm-hmm. and if we look at the like general feedback process and how people learn the closer the feedback is, the more likely I am to learn. So that's again, like why side code analysis may be a great thing if you run it every day, because you immediately identify this. So it will take you twice to learn that buffer overflow is a bad thing, right? Whereas if I did it once a year, then I would fix it, but it would probably not affect it the next time I write code because we're so far removed from even me writing code and maybe a different person and whatever. Yeah. And I, I take, I push it even further and I say, run it directly in the IDE. So there are a bunch of tools that actually have IDE integration and can spot certain things because the problem with running it almost at real time or on a, on a daily basis or on incremental is that it gives you tons of false positive because it doesn't have the context. Unfortunately, static code analysis is a parser of language and data flow. And because it doesn't run in runtime, it struggle to analyze the data flow or the code as it runs. So it makes kind of assumption and that's why we have a bunch of false positive and that's the best they can do. But as, as we circle back, having those visibility as early as possible, first of all, solve the problem of, well, the code in production has 400 dependencies because other people have integrated with APIs and other stuff. So that code is untouchable. <laughs> Or running it while I'm writing it, I could spot it, write it, fix it, done. So I could yep. solve a lot of problems or run it even whenever you commit, as you just said, whenever you commit to the master branch or to, a, to, to another branch of of, uh, of your repo, it could solve it. And I think, so first of all, I was kind of pretty impressed with the CodeQL in terms of like analyzing flow. So vulnerabilities only get identified if they're used, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. not just that any type of parameter will get flagged, but only the parameter that actually came from the outside of your application and stuff like that. But so the interesting part is it's like test-driven development, right? The reason it helps is like 
non-testable code might be fine, right? But when you write tests first and then the code, your code becomes sort of by, by design more testable because yes. you write it with tests in mind. And there's no drawback for doing that. Like, yes, maybe non-testable code would still be fine, but testable code is better because we can test it and we can know that it works. And the same thing with vulnerabilities, like maybe this like type of, you know, query string is not used anywhere, but it's still good to go and protect against, you know, potential SQL injection because if it were used, if later someone adds the usage that comes from the outside, it will still protect me, right? So it kind of improves your architectural and design approach overall, I think. Again, more work for developers, so. I can't agree more, Sasha. I, I absolutely agree with you that effectively you just listed uh, area of threat modeling. So a lot of applications are, are subjected by OWASP top 10 uh, that is well-recognized, like buffer overflow, input validation, cross-site scripting, cross-request, and blah, 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 blah. I can just submerge it with a bunch of them. But if we start writing a library of tests, security tests, that is not different than any other code test or unit test, then we have a library that we can test over and over and over. And our testing phase, we don't even tool. We just need normal testing, normal QA from a security perspective. And we can just poke at our application by ourselves. So for example, one thing that really helped uh, a bunch of team is running retrospective on, on code vulnerability, saying we fixed this problem with these particular things, write it in, in Confluence or any other library tool so that everybody could refer to that. And had the solution. <laughs> and so I love this. You just this conversation just gave me a couple of insights. So like I'm loving this. This is this is really so cool. If, if I, I talk about this extensively. So if you look, uh, I, I talked about uh, how we structured the application security program that we renamed Security Phoenix because it was having security reborn from the traditional world. Uh, is I, I talk about it all the time. We just did it a session for white source. I talk about in Upset Cali uh, in January when we still had a life <laughs> and had conferences in, in real life. So uh, I talk about this thing over and over because it's the only way it works and it's fact driven. So I, I talk a little bit about statistics. So, for example, we managed to reduce lead time for um, solving vulnerability from nine months to two weeks, one week's planning, one week solving, because it was in the trenches with the developer with 32 security people and 7,000 developers in the trenches and solving people that problem that actually people care about <laughs> instead of dictating. Now, how do you solve it with one security researcher? Because you like can't. most most organizations don't even have one. <laughs> you can't solve part of all the problem. You restrict the scope. So what you tend to do is, okay, what what is the most important and valuable application? I started alone. So I said, okay, let's select everything that, for example, is credit card crunching or data protection or anything that is in the front end. Okay, let's analyze how the, those applications are produced, all the team sprint. Normally, one security person can follow up to 15, maximum 30 teams, depending on how they are structured. After that, it becomes messy. So I was doing, for example, training uh, on a quarterly basis on this is a generic problem, this is how to run the tools, this is which tool to run at which stage, and clarifying and demystifying all those terms, or which tool to use where and how to analyze a report. Really, one-on-one -on -one stuff, but it was effective because it's solving a problem that they needed now, not solving like 
talking about a generic security problem, but solving a problem that they needed now so that they could tomorrow apply it. So I'm going to ask you, I'm learning here, so this is really cool. <laughs> I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, so I know some brilliant folks in the security community who say, like, we, we don't want to scare people into compliance, right? Because like it's fear mongering with like security is this big, scary person who will tell you about all the hacks that are happening and stuff like that. But I do also feel like that is the impetus, right? That, that causes people to go learn. Like when we started red teaming at Microsoft, um, like we would, we would actually internally like have the red team reports and mm -hmm. people got better about their code because they didn't want to be in the red team reports. It's not like, it's not like shaming. It's more of a, like, it, it just, like, you're like, okay, like, what do I do? So I don't end up on this board right now. Right. So it, it's like, it gives you the incentive to, to go fix this. Right. Which is more than, oh, we should be secure. But, um, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Like, should we, should we scare people or should we just like be like, well, you should do this because it's good for you. No, it's, I, I agree. We should scare people up to a point. So it, there is a scary that is making something real. So with, I use a lot of statistic impacts, like average bridge is 3 million cost you 3 million average, uh, code fix costs you, I don't know, hundred quids. Do you want to risk hundred quids for, for, for risking? Three millions, I wouldn't, but it's data. So with the sea level, I'm talking about data, money, data, money, time. That's all the conversation I'm having. And it's not scary tactic, but it's providing that context that people can relate to. So sea level people tend to talk about money, people, and time to market and risk eventually. So how risky is something and how implementable and how impactful is a vulnerability and everything is a vulnerability for them. Not going to market is a vulnerability as well as the security vulnerability of having right. an application onto market with bullet hole or potentially with holes. But yes. on, on the developer side, it's a completely different scenario. So how do I analyze and how do I decide what to fix? And that's where the red teaming exercise or the CTF exercise come into place because it makes those things real. So. Just talking about a buffer overflow, I had conversation with developers. It's never going to happen. Ta -ta -ta, done. Your application pops up with something. So it's making those things real. And when they see that it's real, then they take it seriously. So I think a little bit of exercise of either CTF each team against each other. So make it into a competition because you know what? That saves you tons of money on bucks, Bunty. <laughs> also, I haven't met... Sorry. I haven't met a developer yet who didn't want to train for the red team. Like it's the Correct. most popular training inside. Like so in Microsoft, for instance, we had it. So it, was, it had a longest wait list forever because like everyone wants to learn how to hack applications, basically. But hacking application is nothing different than developing your your own testing script in in using, for example, Burp Suite or any other any other suite that enables you to test your application, to test the buffer, to inject some code, or even use your your uh, YouTube <laughs> buffer overflow. How do I do a buffer overflow? Just try and, and write a. Even a kid with uh, uh, hands on on the keyboard can provide a buffer overflow. Actually, it was a joke on Twitter a couple of days ago. Uh, I think it was Troy Hans that said, my kid is starting developing with the hands on the keyboard. <laughs> I said, that's a buffer overflow <laughs> or is testing. Like DDoSing application by, by kid keyboard presses or cat keyboard presses. 
they're, they're the best. They're the best at generating a random event that you couldn't even think about it. And if you think about it, it's hitting the application with those random and strange things without going crazy because I had threat modeling exercise of what if this happens? Like it's never gonna happen. <laughs> You know what? I think I think this is a new proposal I'm going to submit. We're we're going to hire cats for QA. Like that's <laughs> I think that's going to make office environment more happy. <laughs> Definitely increase the uh, entropy and randomness of the team. <laughs> what do you think, Cat, about this release? Should we push it on and off, and that everybody can interpret that? <laughs> <laughs> No, it could definitely it could definitely improve the office life. <laughs> so where where if if I can ask, where do you see the biggest challenge right now with the job that you in in conversation from human aspect into security aspect into uh, what do you see people talking about every every time to you or the frustration that they feel? I think the biggest frustration is that different stakeholders kind of worry about different things, right? So like people feel unheard on every side of this table and there's many sides and everybody's like, but my thing matters, right? Like as a, for instance, I, I talk a lot about shifting security left because that makes sense to me, right? Like I'm a developer, but my, my tools are developer tools. So I care about like, if we make it happen in the beginning of developer life cycle, it's gonna be better for us, right? But then there's some people who are like frustrated, like, why aren't we paying attention to the right side of the cycle? I think we are. I think that's where we started, right? We started only with like, we had pen testing and stuff like that, that only happened in the very end of the life cycle. Okay. Right? So that's kind of why the push is to shift left. Um, but yeah, and, and then again, like, obviously, like, people don't have enough money, people don't have enough time, people don't have enough brain space to, to worry about the problems. So yeah, it, it's kind of a lot of how do we do this education? How do we come to people where they are and to make it better for everybody? And I think, again, we obviously automation can't do everything. And automation sometimes also, you know, creates bugs and stuff. But I think we still have like a long way to go where we can continue automating and making things better by automation and making things easier for people, right? It's kind of like, when you think about continuous delivery, like 10 years ago when the book came out, people were like, that, that is a pipe dream. That doesn't yes. happen. And today, like there's so many organizations that push every day, you know, a hundred times a day, right? And so if we could get to sort of that state in security and we could say, oh, we just automated most of this. Obviously we still have humans who look at things and you know, make things better every day, but these humans at least don't have to deal with the same exact problem okay. over and over and over again. No, that's, that's great. And I think if I can add on top of that, I think having engineers or dev serving the security team or in the security team helps, for example, building library that everybody can use securely. So how to interface, for example, Active Directory, why do we need 400 methods? Why can't we develop a library to do that so we can secure the library? or open source library. Well, we need 400 different library for visualization. Let's have one well, standard one and scan it and make it secure. That, that reminds me of an XKCD comic on standards. I don't know if you know that one, but it's like, oh, why do we have 14 standards for this? Let's develop a global standard. standards. Now we have 15 <laughs> standards on this. This is great. Right? So, <laughs> yes, that, that's also true. That's Fortunately, also true. while we're talking about this, someone implemented a 16 standard and, and this will continue expanding because people write software all the time, you know, and 
Yeah. Maybe maybe it's the speed. So I was probably was four or five black hat ago that uh, we said maybe we just need to admit that we lost the battle. That's it. Software never going to be secure. It's just going to be as secure as the speed that we can develop, or either we slow down the development and analyze a little bit further uh, at the beginning. And I always have this beef. If if you think about a, a bridge, a building, they have determined amount of speed. And they don't push that speed because otherwise they're going to build a bridge that's going to collapse the other day. While in software development, we have this dream that we can keep on pushing code at a speed that is insane for even analyzing. I don't know. Might be a little bit controversial, but what do you think? Well, what I think is like the same thing with, again, with automation and continuous delivery, right? If you take this. We don't say there's no incidents, right? We can never build software that's 100% resilient and will never go down. We can never predict all the circumstances in which an issue will happen. But we have gotten to the point where most organizations can release software reliably in automated fashion, you know, every day. And when you when you think about outages, like people used to go down for maintenance all the time. It would be like, oh, it's Saturday. We're we're down for 24 hours. Deal with it, right? Hatch Thursday. <laughs> Yeah. Anyone? And now, now like if, if Twitter is down for 15 minutes, like people are like, what the hell is wrong with you? How come you can't maintain it? Like the, think about the level Reception. of engineering that goes into like being able to be that resilient and scalable at like 24 seven on a global scale. It's incredible. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think we can get much better, right? We can never be perfect, but we can get much, much better than we are today. Okay. And actually, that might be the conclusion line because usually we conclude with a positive message on the industry. So do you, do you have, other than that, another positive line of to close off? I think, so this one is a good one, right? We can get much better. <laughs> I, I believe that. And the other one is, so I think maybe like an action item, like if you're a developer, like try a little bit, right? To, to learn a little bit of the lingo, to, to learn a little bit of which tools are helpful. I'm not, I'm not even like, maybe you don't need to dive into like super deep into security topics, but maybe just explore a little bit the tools that can make your life easier. And so you can at least leverage the automation. If you don't have, again, if you have security professionals at your side, that's amazing. But like I said, many teams don't even have that. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's more about like, tools and the ability to leverage automation to do the same things. And luckily we do have tools that are much better than they were like five years ago. So I think that's a good way to get started. Fantastic. And I, and I can't embrace more. And moreover, if you just add the security hat, you can bump up your, uh, <laughs> your salary very, very easy. And it's just a, a researcher way. So I appreciate so much, Sasha, for coming here. It's been a brilliant discussion. Thank you very much. And thank you for everybody for listening. I hope you enjoy and took something out of it. This is your host, Francesco. Stay happy, stay secure, and stay safe. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP. And watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com.